Awesome. Well, if you've got your Bibles, please turn with me to Mark chapter 4. The passage will also be on the screen. We're going to be looking today at a a teaching and a moment in the ministry of Jesus that helps us to understand and enter into what it means for us to participate with the kingdom of God, what it means for us to join with Jesus in the growth of his kingdom, to be co-laborers with Jesus and the royal priesthood that we have been called to be, which we have been talking about all the way through our Revelation series, this call to be a kingdom and priests, called to serve God in the world, to bring his life and his light and his love and his power into all situations. And so we're going to read this from Mark chapter 4, starting with a very short parable of the mustard seed. Many of you will know this parable. He also said, verse 26, pardon me, I'm not in the right place. Verse 30, again he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? It's a metaphor. What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth, yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. And with many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable, but when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There was also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? But he got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet. Be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. So we're outside of Israel now in Gentile territory. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. The man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God, in God's name, don't torture me. But Jesus has said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. And then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd was about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Note the difference 
between what Jesus can do when he speaks a word to the storm and what the demons do when they interact with creation. Jesus brings calmness and peace. The demonic powers bring destruction and chaos. I think that's why these two events are juxtaposed, are juxtaposed with one, against one another. Then the... Pardon me, where are we? Those tending the pigs, verse 14, ran off and reported in the town and countryside what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed in his dressed and in his right mind and they were afraid those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon possessed man and told about the pigs as well then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region as Jesus was getting into the boat the man who had been demon possessed begged to go with him Jesus did not let him and said go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Lord Jesus, as we think about this teaching, this moment in your ministry, I pray that it would be encouraging to us, it would build us up, it would strengthen us, and would help us in our own journey of discipleship, our own life of faith. So come, Holy Spirit, and lead us now into all truth, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So I want you to take just a minute or so to turn around and have a conversation with some people around you about what stood out to you from this reading. What captured your imagination? What, what, what did it raise for you? What questions might it have stirred for you? So one minute. Let's go. All right. Now, you might be thinking, uh, as I do most days, who am I to think that I have anything to offer God, that I have anything of worth to offer God, anything meaningful to contribute 
to the work of his kingdom. Who am I to think that God could work through me to do anything significant for him in this world? Now, let's be honest. If you really knew me, you'd probably ask the same question. And if I really knew you, I'm sure I would ask the same question of you. So we're all in good company. We're all in this together. Because the truth is, none of us are good enough. None of us have what it takes. None of us are naturally capable or equipped or skillful or talented enough to bring the kingdom of God to bear in our lives, in the lives of others. So we all stand in the same place on level ground together. It's a good thing then that the kingdom of God is not a meritocracy, that in the kingdom of God, no one gets what they really deserve. Yes, we're called to live by faith and in faithfulness to Jesus, and yet we see in this parable of the mustard seed that even faith, even faith the size of a mustard seed, can do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. According to whose power? According to His power that's at work within us, is what Paul says in Ephesians 2. Jesus spoke all the time about this idea of small and insignificant things and small and insignificant people like shepherds, like fishermen, prostitutes, all, kind of, all kinds of sinners. And like we see in this story, even a demon-possessed man who's delivered then gets to participate in the kingdom of God, then gets to join in on what Jesus is up to in the world. Even a, a man who is really reduced to the worst that a person can be reduced to, He's living in the tombs in a graveyard. He's cutting himself. He's out of his mind. He's possessed by multiple demonic spirits. Jesus comes into his life, delivers him, and then sets him on a course toward fruitfulness and flourishing. It's incredible. This is what Jesus does in people's lives. In all our own weaknesses and doubts and struggles, despite what we once were, Jesus can come into our lives can change who we are, what's going on inside us, can redeem and restore what is broken, what is lost, what is hurting, what is wounded, and set us as well on a course toward fruitfulness, faithfulness, and flourishing. I love um, Sandy Miller. He's one of my heroes. He was the vicar of Holy Trinity Brompton, which is the church that developed the Alpha Course. And really, through his life, by developing that course and then raising up Nicky Gumbel and others to lead it, uh, that church has had an immense impact on the world. Millions and millions of people have come to faith in Jesus, have discovered Jesus through that course. And I love, this is a little story from Sandy's life that he tells, uh, which I just think is wonderful. He writes, some years ago, I was at a conference in California. We had a wonderful evening and the Spirit of God had been moving all over the place. When it was over, I went for a long walk along the ocean. As I was walking, I was caught up with the excitement of what lay ahead and just the thrill of the Spirit of God. And I was saying, Lord, I will give you anything you want. I will do anything you want me to do. Have you ever said that to him? And I confess I was rather immodestly listing one or two things I thought he might want me to do to contribute to the kingdom of God. It wasn't a very long list for obvious reasons. I can honestly claim that I've only heard the Lord speak about three times in this way, but as clearly as I, as I have ever heard him speak, he said to me, Sandy, all I want is you. I found that really hard to take because I can cope with people who are cross with me, offended or upset, 
What's much harder is to see this love from Jesus, and yet we let him down again and again. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know what Sandy's saying here? And all he wants is us, all of us. It was the most humbling thing. I thought, oh Lord, is that really right? We've got ourselves so worried. We see our value to God in terms of our ministry or our contribution or this or that. And we think about it honestly on our knees. We really can't think about anything that would be of much value to him who owns everything in the whole world. He can raise up people out of the stones if he wants them. He can do anything he likes, but all he wants is you. And I think that is so, so true. That so often we measure our success as disciples, we think about whether we're walking faithfully by what we're contributing to God's kingdom. When in truth, what Jesus wants us to do is to learn how to simply walk with Him, and He'll take care of what it is that we will do, what it is that we'll contribute. Our hearts, our minds, our attention should be on Him, walking with Him, being loyal and faithful to Him, to be with Him. And he will be with us, as he promised in Matthew 28, always to the very end. And he will enable us to do what we've been called to do. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, God loves to raise up the weak and despised things of this world to become the display of his glory. That's about as opposite to the way our culture works as I can imagine. We love to elevate the beautiful and the wonderful and the talented and the exceptional. We celebrate those people, but in the kingdom of God, it's the weak and despised, those who are nothing that are celebrated, that are raised up, that are given a job to do which is of eternal significance. That's the way the kingdom of God works. And I think we see this in the parable of the mustard seed. And what I want to do is read it to you three times because Jesus tells this story Three times, one in each of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Let me read it to you again. He told them another parable, Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air can come and perch in its branches. Or in... Luke chapter 13, then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree and the birds of the air perched in its branches. Or the one we've heard already, Mark 4, and again he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? So this language of kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God is synonymous. Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. You're hearing this, Jesus says, the smallest seed, the smallest seed, the smallest seed that you plant in the ground. Sometimes you've got to give up what you are aiming for in life in order to embrace what it is that God wants to do. When a seed is planted in the ground and dies, it grows up to become something new. Yet when it is planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds of the air can come and perch in its shade. Now, as you probably know, most of Jesus' parables were designed to create a kind of confusion in our minds. Uh, in fact, as we read in, in Mark 4, most of the people listening to Jesus would walk away scratching their heads thinking, what on earth is he talking about? And so his disciples would have to ask him privately later because they didn't want to embarrass themselves in public, Jesus, what are you talking about? 
what is going on? What does all this mean? In public, I'm sure they're all standing around, you know, nodding their heads, going, yes, Jesus, we understand exactly what you're talking about. But in privately, like, privately, they're like, Jesus, what are you talking about? But I think this confusion that the parables create is meant to be something productive, to give rise to certain kinds of questions. And I think the key point of confusion that this question, or this parable raises, the question that it asks is, what is the difference between a mustard seed and a great tree? What's the difference between a mustard seed, the smallest of the the seeds, and a great tree? Because we know anything about mustard seeds, the ones that grow in Israel, you'll know that they don't grow to become a great tree. They're just a shrub, a large shrub, really. And they're a kind of a weed. Um, So they become a kind of large shrub, yet, so everyone listening to this story would be thinking, Jesus, mustard seeds don't grow into great trees. Mustard seeds don't do that. That's not what they do. They grow into a large shrub at best. And they're everywhere and they're annoying and they're hard to get rid of. They are not the sort of plant that creates, as Jesus says in this parable, such big branches that the birds of the air can come and nest in them. So Jesus' listeners are hearing this, thinking quite correctly, hang on Jesus, that's not right. That's not how it works. And I think that is precisely the point of the parable. Mustard seeds do not become trees with great branches. So what is Jesus telling us about the nature of the kingdom of God in this story? What he's telling us uh, or what, he, what is he, he, he calling us to think about as we imagine what the kingdom of God is like, how it works, how it grows? He says it is like a mustard seed that becomes a great tree, the greatest of the trees, in fact, he says, which it objectively isn't. So it's a metaphor. What does it mean? First of all, we can say that it means Jesus' own ministry, Jesus' own life. At this moment in his ministry, the kingdom of God, as demonstrated by Jesus, looks very small and insignificant. Jesus is just a peasant carpenter from a backwater village in a small and powerless nation who has no money, no political power, no army, nowhere even to lay his head, he says, who is nevertheless beginning a movement in the world which is going to lead to global transformation, which is going to shake the foundations of the whole of creation. But of course, at the time that Jesus is telling this parable, no one can see what is going to happen. No one can yet see what is happening in the ministry of Jesus and the significance of it in terms of human history. No one yet knows what this mustard seed represented by Jesus is going to do when it is planted into the ground and dies. But we know that after the three days uh, after three days, after his, cru- his crucifixion, Jesus rises from the grave and his kingdom explodes into the world with unstoppable force, changing everything, crushing even the power of sin and death. And as we've seen, you know, really through our Revelation series, it will go on eventually to fill and transform the whole world. That's the kingdom of God represented by Jesus in this moment. It's just him, one mustard seed, one life, and yet that one life is going to change everything. Are you with me? Revelation 22, the leaves of this tree will be given for the healing of the nations. The one who looks like a small and insignificant seed, just another criminal crucified by Rome, 
just another failed Messiah, or so they thought, yet contains within him the power to overcome every scheme of the devil that stands against the purposes of God. And we see that in the way that Mark has arranged this story. Jesus tells this parable, and then immediately we get the calming of the storm. What's that about? If you think through the Revelation series, what does the sea represent uh, in that book, in the Revelation? What does the sea represent? What is it a symbol of? It's a symbol of chaos and death, the, the forces, the powers that are aligned against God. And all it takes is for Jesus to stand up and say, quiet and be still, and all of that is silenced. The sea becomes like glass before his throne, right? That's what's going on here. It's drawing in, or Revelation, if you like, is drawing in that moment to explain what is happening in the ministry of Jesus, which is demonstrated here. And then we see Jesus confronting the same powers in a person. First of all, he deals with it in terms of creation. Then he goes to the demonized man, and it's the same thing, Jesus calming and quieting the storm that's going on in this man's life because he's been afflicted by demonic powers. All it takes is for Jesus to speak a word, and everything is restored as it should be. But he's just one man, and look what he's doing. Yes, he's God in human flesh, but one person, the point of then of this parable is that it's not just what Jesus is doing in his own ministry, it's what he wants to do also in your life, and through you, his ministry will continue into all of the corners of the world. So the first thing we can say is that, yes, it speaks about the ministry of Jesus. The second thing we can say is that it speaks about your life as well, about what God wants to do through and in you, and it is telling us that the kingdom of God is a dimension where the miraculous and the impossible can happen. It is a dimension of miraculous transformation. The kingdom of God is a dimension where the impossible becomes possible, where the miraculous is manifested in and through our lives as we walk with Jesus by faith. We don't bring the power to this. We don't have what it takes to step into this, but Jesus in us, working through us, we will see him do amazing things. Mustard seeds don't become great trees, and that's the point. The power of the kingdom of God is that it has the ability to transform things like small, insignificant mustard seeds into great trees with great branches that produce fruit that other people can enjoy, where birds can come and nest and find a place of shade. The point of this is when the kingdom of God comes into your life like just a little seed and takes root in you, what it will do in you is grow to become something so much greater than the sum of who you are, and so that your life will begin to express the power and the life and the hope and the healing and the love of the kingdom of God, such that your life, as you walk with Jesus in the kingdom, will become also like a great tree that will produce fruit that other people can enjoy. And through your life and ministry, people will find shade and shelter and healing and hope and transformation. It is about Jesus, but it's also about what Jesus wants to do through and in you, that your life in the kingdom can become so much more than it appears on the surface right now. What is Jesus saying? He's saying that no matter how small or ordinary you may believe your life is, if you invest yourself by faith in the kingdom of God, if you plant yourself in the kingdom of God, even if you feel like the most unworthy person, 
Uh, I'm sure that's how Peter felt on that resurrection morning when he was confronted with Jesus who had just raised from the dead. He felt worthless. He felt like a failure. He felt like a traitor because he denied Jesus three times, just as Jesus said he would. But what does Jesus say to Peter at that moment? Does he write him off? Does he say, look, that's the end for you? No, he looks him in the eyes and he restores him back to his ministry. Same with Paul, who on the Damascus Road meets the resurrected Jesus and is transformed from a murderer into an apostle. And Jesus wants to do the same thing in your life and in the life of people around you as you share with them the hope that you have in Christ. God is able to take your life and transform it so that you can do in him what would otherwise be impossible. That he can empower you to partner with his eternal purposes. Do you believe that? Because most days, I'm going to be honest, I don't. Most days just feel ordinary, ordinary life, ordinary stuff, dealing with the daily things that we all deal with. It's hard for me to remember sometimes that there is another dimension going on around and in me which is so much greater than what I'm seeing with my physical eyes. And sometimes we've got to look hard. We've got to look for the mustard seeds, look for the small things. And that's why I love the way that Jesus treats people so much, what we see in these stories. We see in the story of the demonized man, but in really in so many of Jesus' encounters with people, where he looks folks that everyone else would have written off, who have no natural hope in this world, either because of illness or because of mistakes that they've made or because circumstances way beyond their control or even just because they have really royally screwed up their lives. And Jesus yet encounters them and restores them back to their dignity and their purpose as image bearers of God. And he wants to do that for you and through you. And he wants to use you as a royal priest so that you can bring that to other people as well. So we see what Jesus did for this demonized man. And we compare that with the calming of the storm. And we need to be under no illusions about the kind of power that Jesus really does wield. He does it for creation. And then he does it for a person, and he wants to do it in and through you. And I've been really challenged as I've thought and prayed about this, just how in the midst of everything that's been going on these last couple of years and the stuff that we're seeing emerge globally, the things that we're reading in the news, the things that trouble us, to think that the kinds of solutions that we need to bring to bear on the world, on our own challenges, our own problems, are human solutions are the ones that we can create for ourselves, the ones that we can work out. When, in fact, what we're seeing here is that if we will walk with Jesus in Him, alongside Him, and we will trust Him, He will do in and through us the kinds of things that really will change the world. We watched at the Queen's funeral um, Archbishop Justin Welby give a sermon, which we're hearing conservatively reached about four and a half billion people. Now, that's more people in one moment than Billy Graham preached to in the entire course of his ministry. 
I'm guessing that Archbishop Justin Welby didn't stand in the pulpit that day feeling particularly confident, feeling like what he was about to bring would be sufficient, would be enough. And that's the truth. What he brought, what we all bring to bear on on life and the challenges that we face, the opportunities that we have, is never enough. But in that moment, God was speaking through him, planting seeds of the kingdom in lives around the world that will go on to bear fruit in ways that we could only dream about, we could never imagine. Billy Graham, speaking of which, had a Sunday school teacher when he was little who really invested himself into Billy. Billy was kind of bored with church, was ready to give it up. And this one man took him under his wing and really encouraged him, saw something in him, blessed him, prayed for him, um, befriended him, and spurred him on. And in Billy Graham's autobiography, he'll later say, uh, you know, later on in his life, we're reflecting on the relationship he had with this Sunday school teacher, this friendship, how much it meant to him at the time, and really was the thing that enabled him to step into his calling, to be an evangelist. If it wasn't for that man, he might have given it up. Billy Graham went on to reach, obviously, millions and millions of people around the world. And this is the question I want to ask you this morning, is that we we often discount the sort of small encounters we have with people, the relationships, the friendships, as just ordinary things. But what if you could see those things as opportunities to invest something in the life of another person that may go on to grow and bear fruit in ways that you could only dream about? What if your relationships, the gifts that you have, the people that God has put into your life are the means by which God wants to use you to transform the world? That if you invest yourself in someone, if you take them uh, under your wing, if you believe for them, pray for them, encourage them, spur them on, they may go on to do things that would be impossible for you, but in the kingdom of God would uh, pro- produce an incredible harvest. The kingdom of God is not about top-down power. I mean, Jesus demonstrates the kind of power he has in the story when he calms the storm, but that's not the point. The point is that Jesus' kingdom spreads through relationship, through people, through us investing our lives, our time, our energy, our love into those around us. And when we do that, we are planting seeds that, as Jesus says, will go on to grow into something beautiful, something that will produce good fruit, that will grow big branches, that the birds of the air, I think it's a metaphor for people, will come and find shade and home and healing in your life and through what you give as you walk with Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. 
No one may boast. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. Therefore, it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. In other words, God wants to do the kinds of things through you that the people around you will be able to say, well, that was clearly not from you. You clearly did not have what it takes to do that. That must be God. So I'm going to boast in the Lord. That's the promise. As we walk with Jesus, we don't have to trust in our own capacities, our own power. We can trust in the power of God, and He will do wonderful, miraculous, healing, transformative, powerful things. The other thing about the kingdom, finally, is that every seed, every little mustard seed, has within it the potential to become a tree that will produce hundreds, thousands, millions of other seeds, and so on and so forth. Your life, your one ordinary life, contains within it, in the kingdom of God, the potential to go on to influence hundreds, thousands, millions of people. Because that's what the kingdom of God does. That's the potential in the kingdom of God. And it starts with you noticing and investing in one person at a time around you. Loving them, blessing them, helping them, praying for them. And so I want to encourage you this week, if maybe in your life, you're walking with Jesus, your faith, you've grown a little bit bored, a little bit jaded, a little bit frustrated, you're not quite sure what it is that God wants to do through you, you're not quite sure where all this is going, I want to encourage you to start to pray and believe that where God has placed you right now in your life is exactly where He wants you to be, and there are people around you that God wants you to invest yourself in, So we often think about the kingdom being something that's happening over there, or I've got to travel overseas to find it, or I've got to be in some kind of amazing positional place of authority in order to really make a difference. But I think the point is that wherever God has placed you, in your family, your workplace, your community, your context, wherever it is, there are people around you that God wants you to minister to. And I think that's just going to start with prayer Uh, and with asking the Lord what it is that you can give, how you might encourage them, how you might bless them. And as you do that, I believe you will see God do wonderful and beautiful and transforming things. It's people, friends. It's people. It's not about structures or institutions. It's not about growing big churches. It's not about having a ministry that everyone sees and notices. It's about And there are people in your life around you right now that if you will step in by faith to bless them, to love them, to pray for them, to encourage them, to share the hope that you have in Jesus with them, you will see God at work. I believe that. It's when we turn it around and we start thinking about what it is that God can do for me what I want to be able to measure in terms of success in my own life as the demonstration of God's kingdom. We miss the point. It's about us giving of ourselves to others. And as we do that, 
we will see God at work in beautiful and miraculous and transforming ways. Let me pray. And I'm going to invite the band to come on up. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the promise of your kingdom. We thank you that it's not just for the rich, the powerful, the beautiful, the exceptional, and the talented. It's for all of us. It's for every person who walks by faith, who wants to come alongside you, Lord Jesus, and walk in your love. I pray... Lord, that we'd be captivated again by this invitation to be with you, to walk with you. And as we do that, and as we experience your love for us, that our hearts would be stirred to give that away to others. And that in our own lives, we would see the promise and the fruit of this parable, that the kingdom of God might start like a little mustard seed, like one word, one prayer, one moment of encouragement or love or generosity, which goes on to grow and grow and grow in ways that go beyond what we could imagine. And I pray that each one of us would grab hold of this vision, And we see what you did for the demonized man. Lord, you reached down even into the depths of his suffering. His life had been overtaken by the powers of hell. And yet even there you were able to reach him and restore him and then set him on a path to his true purpose. And I believe you can do that for each of us and then through us, the lives of those around us. And I pray that we would get a vision, Lord Jesus, for what's possible as we give ourselves in love to those around us. As we trust you that what we have received in you is enough to make a significant and powerful difference in their lives. And I want to take a moment, even right now, to think of one or two people that are around us that we might bless that we might love, that we might encourage, that we might begin to pray for. And I thank you, Jesus, that the difference between the mustard seed and the tree is you. You are the one who brings this transformation. You are the one who changes lives. You are the one who does the impossible. So Lord, we renew our faith in you this morning. And we invite you by your spirit to stir us to convict us, to challenge us, to open our eyes and see how you're already at work around us and how you want us to join with you in spreading your kingdom, sowing those seeds in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name.
All right, friends, let's stand. We're going to sing together. Amen.